Blog Talk Radio. And there it is again, that beautiful voice that welcomes you here to our platform on Blog Talk Radio. And this is the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Carlin, and I'm here with my co-host, the wonderful, the fabulous, the incredible Richard Flint. How are you this morning? Well, uh, those adjectives, I guess I'm doing great. (laughs) You better be. (laughs) It was quite the setup, wasn't it? Yes. I was pausing at the the beginning because I was trying to think of all the adjectives I was going to put on you. They're pretty easy to come up with a whole sundry of them because you're pretty amazing. Well, but we're all amazing in our own way. Isn't that the delight? Yep. When When you and I are comfortable within the authentic self and when we are comfortable with who we are in our own skin yeah. uh, we are amazing and I think sometimes we have to be amazing to ourselves before we can be amazing to other people well you um, know I agree and that, that leads into our theme for today um, as, I, as I've said to our audience the last couple of episodes we've rebranded the name of our platform to No Apologies. And today is about No Apologies for what concerns you. And yeah, I want you to think about something. As we move through 2020, one season after the next, you know, winter into spring and now spring into autumn, the world so overcome with uncertainty, especially here in America. There are large questions looming for all of us. Perhaps the most essential question to ask is, who do you trust? You know, trust is the first stage in life that psychologists examine, for it is then that we learn that the world and people are either trustable or they are not. Our original foundation at that point in time sets us in motion to learn whether or not we can trust ourselves. Can you? And do you? And then beyond your own self, here in the oddness of 2020, with the media just slamming at you every moment, what news do you trust? Join us right now. 54321 Bingo, we're on. As Richard and I discuss this today, in the midst of tonight being the debates, for the 2020 elections for the president of the United States between Joseph Biden and our standing president, President Donald Trump. And as we're also in the midst of the nomination for a new Supreme Court justice, Amy Coney Barrett. And how do we trust How do we trust the people who are on the platforms? How do we know if we should trust them? What's our process? That's what Richard and I want to get to the bottom of today. Well, you know something, Deb, that um, trust is such an uh, essential part of life. Very. I think one of the things we see is as uncertainty grows, it creates a lot of questions. And as I listen to the questions that are being asked today 
uh, of me in listening to questions being asked around my life. One of the things I hear is that uncertainty has a tone of mistrust to it. Indeed. And uncertainty is a big part of creating mistrust. And we're just at such a critical point in our nation today because, you know, I've heard it said over and over and over again, and it is true. What's about to happen in November is going to create the future of this country. And, you know, as much as people may not want to admit it, to me, it is, it is a choice between freedom mm-hmm. and socialism. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And Richard, one of the things that I find to be untrustable is the information that people are operating off of. When I, when I ask people, are you, are you up in arms about the candidates because of the personalities? Because I hear a lot of commentary about our standing President Trump and how people don't like his behavior on Twitter. They don't like his behavior in terms of his style and, and the language that he uses and the way in which um, he engages in a percentage of the time because nobody is one way 100% of the time. And then I hear people talking about uh, Joe Biden and making all kinds of commentary about him, about what they don't like and his mental faculties and his record in Congress of being ineffectual and not being proactive about things. Now, I don't, quite honestly, study the Congress and their movements and watch the news and engage, and it's been foolish on my part. I I appreciate that because I have trusted that people who we voted into office were doing what it was that they said they would do. But the thing that really makes me uncomfortable right now is I know what I can trust about the United States of America, the way that we were formulated, our Bill of Rights, our United States Constitution, our capitalism, and our generosity. We are the nation in the world, the greatest nation in the world, the most generous nation in the world. If anybody anywhere is in trouble, we run to go and help them and make corrections and defeat the bullies who are decimating the underdog. And yet there's been complaints for as long as I can remember that we don't do that here in our own country for our own countrymen. But I know that in the United States of America, while it is a capitalistic society, that I can earn what I want and do what I want with it. It is mine. I can have personal property. I can become as wealthy as I want to. And I I need to honor my obligations to pay my taxes and to pay my bills. But I I can move about the world freely. I can move about the country freely. And I have rights that are protected. If we become socialists and people talk about it in a very soft way, that socialism, unlike capitalism, and I'm quoting, will make sure that everyone is taken care of, will make sure that we have equalization, will make sure that we've got this equity across demographics and and make sure that um, nobody's got too much and nobody's got nothing. 
I don't think that they understand what they're really talking about. I don't think that they understand that the freedoms of Americans are at risk. And that, that really scares me. I don't trust because I know that they don't know what they're talking about. I, I, have, I have so many people in my life who are from foreign countries who came here. They escaped here from Russia or from Poland or from Cuba. They are elated to be living in a country where they can own their home, own their car, create companies, make money, and have the American dream. I am, I am very, very uncomfortable and untrusting about the ways in which people just don't, just don't seem to know. How is that possible? Well, one of the things you said is that, you know, one of the things that you believe in is you believe in the United States of of America now. Because I, I know what we have stood for. Yeah. But I think so much of what we have stood for is a lot of what's under attack today. It does seem that way. And, um, you know, Take away freedom, and what do you have? You have uh, anarchy. Uh, take away freedom, and what do you have? You have a government that not only tells you who you are, but what you can do and what you can have. Yeah. And I, I just don't, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to just be blunt, but I don't see how anyone in their right mind can feel that socialism and because socialism is related to Marxism, which related to communism, and I don't see how anyone in their right mind can think that socialism would be better than free, the freedom that we have in capitalism. I just don't understand that. Um, to me, you just can't be in, the, in you, you can't be in your right mind to think that that's better. Uh, I mean, do you want do you really want government to have control of your life to the point that uh, they can tell you who you are, what you can earn, what you can do, and if they want to take something from you, they can just take it from you? I mean, if you study countries like Venezuela, it used to be a great country oh when it was gosh. a capitalistic country. It was blossoming, and all of a sudden they get this, not president, but dictator in who takes them and takes them towards socialism. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, this country is nothing. People are starving. There is nothing, nothing there. And someone, please tell me how socialism, where I have to give up what I earn in order to support other people who don't, who don't want to work. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, I just, I can't agree. I can't agree with that. And I don't know how intelligent people could think that socialism is better, but maybe I've answered my own question. Maybe the word is intelligent people. I agree. And I, and I have a number of thoughts about that. One of the things that, that is stunning to me is I don't think that the people that we have in, in Congress are stupid. I think that I think that they've been educated. They're old enough to have been educated in the United States uh, education system, both public and private. We've got we've got some good minds in there, but something something has happened when when people are behaving badly. 
it's an indication that their thoughts are askew. Um, there, there are behaviors that I witness that are, are behaviors of total disrespect and disregard for the United States of America, for the Congress, for the United States Constitution, for the United States Bill of Rights, for the office of the president, the office of the vice president, the job of the uh, United States press secretary for the president of the United States. When we when we have when we have when we have gone from paying deference to people in leadership and calling them by their last names and calling them in disrespectful names, that's called bullying. And we have a nation of children, we have a world of children who are looking at the grown-ups calling other kids, other adults, grown-ups, as though we were kids. I didn't do that as a child. I did not make fun of and call other children names. I was taught from very little on how cruel that was. But we're doing that, and it sounds frivolous, but it's not. Because what we're doing is we're dehumanizing the people that we want to have the freedom to attack. And by the way, if you want this socialistic movement that is Marxist, if you if you don't think it's Marxist, I advise you to go read the complete website for Black Lives Matters, and you're going to find out how Marxist it is and how they don't believe in our nuclear family here in America. They don't believe in our capitalism. They don't believe in anything about the American way of life. Now, if that's what you want, if that's what you want to endorse, just remember, you will never, ever utter a word against a leader. Ever. Well, let me go back to something you, you mentioned. And, uh, you know, what's, you asked a question, what's happened to Washington? And one of the things that I, I think is that for the majority of the people that are there, politics has become their life. Yes. And so what's happened with Donald Trump is that the president came in, and you and I have talked about this, he's a street fighter. Yeah. You punch him, he's going to punch you back harder. Right. And presidents in the past have pretty well succumbed and have found a way to bend over backwards. <clears throat> and a lot of the, the politics that are played President Trump won't play it. Right. And so all of a sudden, here's an individual who should have never been elected by what they say and by what Hillary says. Right. Should have never been elected. And I've said this for quite a while. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in Hill and Bill, uh, Bill's, uh, Clinton's suite when she figured out she lost. Yeah. Um, but politics has become their way of life. And now all of a sudden, here's someone who's not afraid to stand up to them. Here's someone who's not afraid to confront their behavior. Yeah. And isn't it amazing that so much of what he said about what was happening, what was going to happen in the beginning of his presidency, is now being proven to be true? Give some, and that, give some examples. Well, just the, uh, the dossier that they used to try to impeach him. Yeah. And everything that's come out about that and the fact that they're used to always having their way. And here's a person who's not afraid to stand up to them and they don't know what to do with them. 
So right now, they're guided by fear that is filled with anger that has actually turned to hatred. Yeah, it really is. Now, the, the part that really bothers me is that whole theme of hatred. Um, one of the things that, that I've been writing and talking about this year is my concern that with all of this uncertainty, I mean, you, you and I know as doctors in psychology that the, the most undesirable characteristic in a relationship, the most undesirable characteristic in, a, in another person is volatility. We as human beings, and part of our human condition is we like certainty. We, we like for the ground that we are standing on to be foundational for us and to be what we know that we can count on. So that volatility is very upsetting. And what we have right now is we have a, a world of uncertainty. We have a country of uncertainty. And the uncertainty is fueled by people who are on two separate sides of the aisle in our Congress, which, by the way, I am a proponent of saying, why don't we, instead of having two sides of the aisle, why doesn't everybody switch seats? And everybody has to sit together. You have to sit with people that you don't know. How about if you have to sit next to people you don't like or agree with? Because being in proximity to somebody over time, really changes your perception. You start to open up and listen a bit. We have to break up some of the squads and and disperse people through the room to hear from people who have different points of view. We have fed, we have fueled this mentality of us versus them. And it has gone from Washington all across the country and invaded every single family, every single friendship, every single person, every single person. I defy anybody to tell me that there is any, anybody who doesn't have a stance on what side or the other that they're on, including babies. Why? Because people, I cannot believe when I see people take their babies to protest genteel or whatever and they have got their babies holding signs their toddlers holding signs their young children holding signs these children are children for them to be involved in the politic is taking them out of childhood and propelling them forward into a cognitive skill set they don't have the equipment for they can't think those things through it's not their time. So we as the adults are really in charge of being reasonableists and critically thinking. And here comes my next point when we're talking about my question to you in terms of what's happened to, to Washington. I don't know. I mean, I, I believe that the people in Washington are smart and they were elected into office. But I don't know in terms of their following or the younger junior members of Congress, how many of them were in the school system, private or public, when critical thinking skills was the most essential part of the educational process? Because if you don't have critical thinking skills, we have a real problem. And I don't see critical thinking skills being exercised. And I'm very, very concerned about that. And I think that that's a reason why the 
nominee for the Democratic Party, Kamala Harris, is able to do and say what she does and, and, and that there's acceptance. Because inside of that, there is this lack of critical thinking skills about what the implications are of what she's saying. I heard her saying the other day, all of America must be dismantled. And one of the next lines out of her mouth is, there will be no more brunch. Now, I turned that out. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't listen. So I don't know what the context of all that was. But it sounded to me like she was targeting something that she regards as an ultimate capitalist activity of social exchange and enjoyment, and that that along with everything else will be erased. I don't think that all the people who are supporting her are understanding that that's where her mind is at. Well, but another thing concerns me, Deb, is all the hypocrisy about years ago, this is what they said. And today, this is what they're saying. And, you know, over the, like the Supreme Court nominee. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden, a few years ago, said that, you know, the Congress has the right, the Senate has the right to confirm somebody, even though it's late in the presidential's term. That is constitutional. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, it's like what a lot of them do, they flip-flop. And it's not about what they believe. It's about what they think some want to hear. And, you know, if we go back to this concept of we started with of trust, um, I, I think trust and truth are so locked together. Wow, yes, please. And how can I trust you when you keep flip-flopping on what you say? And I, I'm sorry, Deb, but I really do believe that a lot of these politicians, they just think that people are stupid. Well, I agree. I absolutely agree. And if you, if you, if you buy into the greater narrative about who's funding all of this, you know, um, there's been a lot of questions asked in the media about how are people getting all this equipment for these riots and these demonstrations? Where do the What's the rumor about pallets of bricks being dropped off, and and what is all that? Well, somebody caught on film a U-Haul truck being delivered. I think it was in Louisville, right when the the grand jury decision was being released. My opinion, it, was, it wasn't going to matter which way it went. There was going to be a riot. There was going to be desecration of Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky, a place I dearly love. I love the state of Kentucky. I can't say I hate any part of the world, especially in the United States of America. I've been in every state in the United States, and they all have something unique and wonderful, and they're all America. Well, there was a U-Haul truck that that arrived, and there was a crowd of people who knew exactly where that truck was going to be, and they got all that equipment off of it, and the equipment was very nicely made, professionally done banners. And, and, you know, baseball bats and all kinds of weaponry. And, and I just, I thought to myself, who is funding this? Why isn't somebody, while they're filming this, getting the license plate number and then finding out who it is who, who rented it? Well, they did. 
And within days, there was an identification made for an organization with a, a woman who is the executive director, young, blonde-haired, female, white, I don't know, maybe 20s, 30s. And she's the executive director for a group that bails people out of jail when they're arrested during these events. And from what I understand, it is a relatively new organization because they want to get people out. As soon as they're arrested, don't worry about it. We'll get you out. Well, who's doing the funding behind that? Well, that is yet to be revealed. But I've heard about George Soros for an awfully long time. And there was a period of time when I would watch him and I would listen to him and I thought, I would really like to meet this man. I would really like to meet him. I I know this sounds a bold statement, but this is me as a human being talking about another human being, regardless of their power and their wealth and position and intention. I would really like to sit down and talk with them. I would really like to be of help to him because if he really hates America and he is out to destroy us and he has this much power and can do all these things, imagine what he could do if he loved America and gave America a chance to love him and and imagine what good he could do with the money that he's got instead of destroying everything. And then I wonder how in the world, I mean, I've read his life story from what it is I can see. And I understand he had um, a tremendous amount of trauma in his life and sadness. Well, guess what? I don't know a human being who hasn't to some degree at some place. If he's behind all this, why aren't we why aren't we bringing him in and doing something about him? Well, and, and that's an interesting question because everywhere you turn, there is this um, these stories or these um, statements that he is behind a lot of this. And you know, I, I wonder if he used socialism or capitalism to build his wealth. Are you being funny? No. Can you build wealth off of socialism? Uh, I don't think you can. But if he used the system that we have to build his wealth, why would he be funding the destruction of what has allowed him to be who he is? It's a really great question. What's the answer? I don't know. Let me write it down that I asked a really great question. <laughs> but but it, it's interesting because, you know, we, we talked about this um, last week. There is always an agenda behind the agenda. Yes, yes, I know. And I'm not sure we really understand. I think we have an idea of what the agenda is behind the agenda. But the agenda is to destroy this country. It certainly looks that way, and it certainly has been successful, hasn't it? As a matter of fact, I want to pull something up for you that I'm very, very unhappy about. And usually our um, our goal here on our show is to bring happiness. Well, no, it's not. It's to have open and frank discussions, open and honest there discussions. You go. So I looked at suicide facts and figures for the United States for 2020, and it says um, suicide is the the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. I don't know that this is actually correct. 
And this is by the American Foundation for Suicide. Funny that they would call it for suicide instead of of suicide. Oh, for suicide prevention. I'm sorry, I didn't have the whole thing on the page. But um, on average, 132 Americans died by suicide each day. It is 1.4 million Americans attempted suicide. 132 Americans died each day by suicide. 132 Americans. Now, people were alarmed when, in working with veterans organizations, I learned, and, it, and, it, and it's really, it's drifted into the shadows these days, but we had as many as nine veterans attempting suicide and being successful with it. Then the number rises up to 11. If I'm not mistaken, the number rose up to like 21 suicides a day. So I think that their numbers are probably off on 132 if veterans have been as high as 20 or 21. And even if it's 11, people were alarmed by that. I mean, every single day, every single day. This is horrifying, horrifying. And and if it's if it's a 132 each day, do the math really quickly. Every flipping hour of the day, we have five or six people killing themselves. Well, you know, it, it puts another word in front of us that ties into this, and that's the word hope. Right. You know, if you take away my hope, then what you do is you take away my trust. Yeah. And if you take away my trust, then you're playing with me with my understanding of truth. And it's, Deb, it just seems to me <clears throat> that the founda- it's the foundation of the country that uh, is, being, is being torn apart. And to me, that's the agenda would be on the agenda. You know, it was just like... Biden made a statement the other day, um, we are one nation, but he wouldn't stay under God. Right. So much of this this left wing or whatever you want to call it, this leftist movement, again, they're going to erase, and that's what they're working to do, the foundational principles of this country. Let's take God out of the equation. Let's say that the the Constitution is a, an old fossil document that we don't need anymore, uh, that it, it, it's not relevant to today's world. Um, and, you know, let's, let's just undermine everything that this country has stood for. And, and I, 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 wish that, I wish that people would just wake up to the seriousness of what's happening today. Um, I do too. I I wouldn't want to be, um, you know, Amy being nominated for the Supreme Court. I mean, because everything everything is fair game with her, and I I can't believe that they would attack her faith. But again, if we're working to erase God from this country, then a person of faith is a person that we don't want. And I can't believe that they would they go after her children. So she has seven children. So two of them are adopted from Haiti. Bless her. Yeah. 
Absolutely. She's got, you know, when I think about my life and being the age that I am and seeing that though the opportunity for me to have several segments of life uh, like she does are behind me, I think to myself, that just means that I need to make a greater impact with the choices that I've made with the life that I have to do good because I see her as being in a prime position to do so much good. One of the things that I found very disturbing was, and this has really been a decades long uh, disappointment to me. Um, Was it really true that people who call themselves feminists attacked her and said, how in the world can you think that you can run for this position and be a mother? I mean, I thought that part of what these people were up in arms about is that the female gender is superwoman and can do it all. Well, isn't it also interesting that Justice Ginsburg, you know, when she was when she was young, she fought for women's equality, that you can be a mother, you can run a house, and you can have a position. Yep. And here she is. This is what she fought for. This is what she was known for. Now, the person that they're looking at replacing her is exactly like what she was fighting for, and now she's evil. Yeah. Well, I remember when I when I was going in and teaching um, in the psychology of a prominent university, and I was asked, I taught a, a variety of different classes, loved it all, and was asked um, if I would teach the psychology of women. And I said, sure, yeah, that'd be great. You know, all the classes are fun to teach and really intriguing. And I would never just get a textbook. I would have my students collect books for their library. You know, this isn't a book I want you to sell at the end of the semester. I want this to be part of your lifelong learning. So I picked out a selection of books. And the the class was cross-referenced between the Department of Psychology and the Department of Women's Studies. And the gentleman who was a good friend of mine and a business associate, actually, was was under scrutiny. Well, who is she? What qualifies her to be able to teach the psychology of women? And he said, well, let's see. She's been teaching for at least 15, 20 years that I know of. And she is a doctor of psychology. And she's a woman. Does any of that qualify her? Well, we don't know where she stands. I think she's standing in her office right now. I mean, it was so ridiculous that he said to me, Deb, what do you want me to do? And I said, I'll talk to him. I said, but in the meantime, tell him this. They're welcome to come into my class anytime they want and witness what I do. And what they'll see is that sometimes I come in, I'm in a dress and heels and hose, and I got my hair done, and I'm wearing jewelry. And other times I'm going to walk in there, and I've got on hiking boots and jeans and a T-shirt. I'm probably always wearing a bra. Because I'm really pretty much beyond the days when it's when it's even a consideration, you know. The um, the response I got was, "Okay, fine, let her go." But one of the one of the statements that I made to my class was, um, and and I had a lot of females who came in and they were very angry and they wanted to know all about women and women's movements and and how women got into the positions that they did and what are we going to do to get us further and. I had to really pause and relax them into a calmer state before I could enter into the conversation about, 
do you really think, if you look through history, either your own or national or international history, do you ever see a group that is asking for more from the people who they think are oppressing them, where they didn't get what they wanted from the people who they thought were oppressing them? Do you think that women got the right to vote and it didn't come from genuine loving help from men? Of course there were battles, but not like there are today. But women in the women's movement, and if you want to talk about the psychology of women, you cannot talk about the psychology of women without talking about the psychology of men. And from my perspective, they are a perfect union. And if somebody wants to say it's a conservative view, actually it's a very liberal view. The way I grew up and the way that the dictionary defines liberal, it's very open-minded. And if you're closed off to the idea that men and women fit together, then are you looking to annihilate that whole portion of our reality, our society, our world? I mean, you, you can't, all these segments, all these special groups, as a woman, I want to be special. As a minority, as a black person, I want to be special. I want to know where the white male stands in the middle of this. I don't see a single class called the psychology of men or the psychology of the white male or even the psychology of the Indian male, you know, the Native American male or the, or the black male or the Hispanic male. Aren't we people? Aren't we human beings? We all have the human condition, and the human condition is something that has got the experiences across every one of us. So I would, I got into a conversation with someone I loved dearly last weekend, someone who is important to me, a beautiful woman. And we were talking about men and women and how our current president is so horrible and sexist and how, come on, Deb, you know, being a professional and working in the world the way that you have, you know how horrible men are and how sexist they are and how they assault us. And I said, no, actually, I don't. What are you talking about? And I said, <laughs> I come out into the world and I and I do my business. I was the the the, the undergraduate and graduate training that I went through was primarily male. I was well received. The circles that I floated in have been predominantly male. I come walking in there. Oh, but you've been you've been assaulted. You know that you have. You've had people say filthy things to you. You know. Let me tell you something. <laughs> if I had been Matt Lauer's secretary, the way the story goes, and he would have gone to his office and called me up in my office and said lewd and lascivious things about what we were going to do in his office and said, so get over here. I expect you to come over here. I would have immediately gotten witty and said, oh, my dear heavens, Mr. Lauer, you must have a fever. And you're having fantasies that you're on the phone with your wife. Let me call her, and I will have her come over to you swiftly so you can have your needs met. And then the next time I saw him, I would have said, I hope you're feeling well. I hope you're feeling better. You don't feed into it, and you for the world of reasonability, you don't get up off your chair and go walk into harm's way. What if he would have said, I have a loaded gun in here, and I want you to come over here because I'm going to shoot you in the head? Would you have gone? I mean, this is so much insanity. And when I said, no, I have not had things said to me 
Have I had men come on to me and flirt with me? Yes. Yes, of course. And <laughs> quite frankly, when it doesn't happen, you know, when somebody doesn't flip an eye at me and, and look at me as though I'm attractive, I'm thinking to myself, well, I, I, guess, <laughs> I, guess, I, I guess my youth is behind me. But I have, I have not had the experience of being assaulted. And of, and of having, you know, these horrible sexist things put upon me. And as a matter of fact, quite the contrary, I've walked in as the outside consultant brought in to do a job. And by the way, with a lot of femininity, I take my, I take my strength in a feminine vein, thank you very much. I don't feel the need to be macho and compete with men. There is no competition. Men and women are different. And I've had the question be, you do realize they're paying you more than you're paying me. I mean, you're coming in here as a consultant and you're getting paid more than I get paid in a salary. And I say, thank you. Thank you very much. Let me say three things to what you've been talking about. Yes. Number one, it is wrong whenever someone like uh, the lady that's being going to be, uh, going to be hopefully appointed to the Supreme court. Yes. When her person grows, goes on trial not her credentials. Exactly. If Amy study, Coney uh, Barrett. Yeah, Amy Corey Barrett. If you study, if you study her credentials, they're incredible. She's 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 the right person for this. Yes, she's remarkable. But they know that they can't attack her credentials. <clears throat> so what they go after is the person. Yeah. They did this in the in the last uh, Supreme Court nominee with Mr. Kavanaugh. Yeah, and uh, man, they put that guy through hell. It and is it amazing. Wasn't a, and it wasn't about his credentials. Right. It was about him as the person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they're doing to the current president of the United States. And by the way, to a certain degree, that is what they're doing with Joe Biden. I do not approve of the memes. I do not approve of the jokes. I do not approve of the name calling. We need to focus on the accomplishments of people, the integrity of people, their their dossier, which is their their career record, not their dossier, which is some filthy investigation. Let's dig up dirt. Well, this is what I hope. I hope that part of the uh, presidential debate is about tonight. It's about credentials. What have you done? Their credentials. Second thing, second thing you were talking about, I'd like to just talk about for a second is when you ask what's happening to the male today. Yeah. What's happening to the male? Uh, I think this feminist movement has really turned a lot of females into a an aggressiveness that, um, and I hate to use the word, but it's the only thing I know that I think really defines it. That's out to castrate a man. Yeah, they're they're there and they're making the male feel inferior. Yes, and it's a it's a movement. Yes, it is, one hundred percent. And and again, you know, it's just this this push. Uh, that what they what they call equality is not equality. No, it's not. Because it comes back to merit. It comes back to credentials. Um, 
Well, in, in interpersonal relationships, though, Richard, yeah. equality, when I, watch, when I watch a feministic movement in a marriage and I watch the way that men have acquiesced, they don't know if they're supposed to open the door or not. They don't know if they're supposed to pull out the chair or not. Yes, thank you very much. Gallantry and gentility and gentlemanly, it does not diminish me in one bit. It makes me feel like I'm in a position of honor. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. When I stand up in front of a room, and, 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 I, and I, I'm the leader of several groups, when I stand up in a room or I'm conducting a meeting on Zoom, I love it when my audience is dialed into what I'm saying, not competitive with me. We're, we're talking. We're trying to figure out whatever the issues are. I'm not looking at gender. I'm looking at cooperation and collaboration. And I, and I, I, I have been accused many times of how come you have so many men in your world? How, how come you, you seem to prefer men? You know what? I don't really even pay attention. I'm looking for who wants to get on board and get the job done. But I sure as heck am not looking for somebody who needs to compete with me, be catty with me. You know, I, I have wonderful women in my life. Love them dearly. But the minute that, the minute that we're going to go off on a bender and you're going to talk to me about equality, but you only want to talk about equality with women being in a superior position, and then you want to defend people by their color, and you want to leave out the other, the other portion of the population, excuse me, a lot of these ladies are married to men, good men. And I'm thinking, did you have a dad? Do you have a brother? Do you understand that men die before we do as women? What are you doing? Why aren't you looking at what the implication of the stress is that we are all putting on one another? It's inappropriate. And quite frankly, the older I get, the more I'm looking at men in our culture who are age appropriate for me. I'm thinking to myself, they either seem to be beaten down or they're just so out of energy. It's sad. And right now, if you're a white male, including the president, and and it's kind of amazing that it doesn't include Joe Biden at this moment in time, um, you're blamed for everything. Except it does seem to be equalizing now, doesn't it? Because we have this lovely young woman who's been nominated to serve in the Supreme Court, and she is certainly being annihilated. And she's a female, white female. And you're temporarily frozen just in the middle of my, what now is not a conversation, but a diatribe. Oh, we've got to get, we've got to get our technology perfected. This is horrible. It happens repeatedly. Although I must say you have a wonderful expression on your face. I don't know how to get you back, Mr. Flint. I try to spin the, the dial around on us here, but it doesn't seem to really make a difference. Well, let me go on with the conversation, and Richard will probably pop back in here. The reality is about hope and trust. Where are we trusting? Do we as women don't trust the men in our world? Well, how is it possible? How can we do that? Do we look at other women and say, I don't trust her? Or do we just look at men and say, I don't trust him. I don't trust them. What we need in our humanity and in our country today in 2020 is we do need hope, we do need faith, we do need trust. And that means 
trusting one another and trusting our human condition. And, and, you know, when people misbehave, if you don't like the way that our president talks, then tweet him. And don't do it by calling him names. I have tweeted him. I have made commentary back. And I do that with people, but I try to do it in a very respectful way. I appreciate what you've said. I would prefer that you not use expletives. I would prefer that you not call other people names. It's just, it's so, um, it's so eroding of our, of our core values. You know, etiquette is not something to be made fun of. Emily Post wrote the blue book of manners, the blue book of etiquette. And if you read it, it is really quite lovely. Because what she was trying to do is she was trying to outline for us the ways in which we all have expectations for one another's behavior. And it's all sensible. So if what you do is you know what the expectations are when you walk in, and don't say that you don't have any, that you just want things to, you know, float free. We want people to be respectful of themselves first and then of others. And we've got guidelines for that. We've got guidelines for everything in terms of our behavior from how it is we greet one another, how we depart company from one another, how we write notes of thanks and how we dine and, you know, everything that you can imagine. Won't it be interesting to watch and see tonight what sort of etiquette, what sort of gentility we can witness between our two candidates for the race in the presidency of the United States. Won't it be interesting to watch the moderator and see the same and witness that? And when we're talking about Congress and and we're interviewing this candidate, won't it be interesting to watch and see what sort of etiquette we can witness in, in that hearing, in that interview with her? Now, I see that Richard is coming back to join us in our last not quite 10 minutes, and I'm hoping he gets to come in here. Richard, I don't see any evidence other than that I let you in and it says you're joining. But, you know, when I was witnessing the interviews with our attorney general for the United States, Bill Barr, I was embarrassed by the ways in which the etiquette and the gentility was completely absent. The man was being asked questions and not allowed to answer any of them. He was interrupted repeatedly. So, Richard, when when you took off, um, I guess I guess you had an emergency call from Congress. They were asking for your advice. On the- well, they they told me that you and I were getting too personal. <laughs> I was I was pleading for the gods of technology to please help us with perfection in our technology. Confident that you would come back because the conversation had become a diatribe. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing that's happening right now, the, the attorney general in uh, Kentucky are, are, uh, is going to release the transcripts oh my gosh. Uh, of, of what happened in the grand jury. That's illegal. Those are sealed documents. But again, everybody is bowing to the pressure of what the Black, Life Ma- Black Lives Matter movement is because we're afraid of them. We're afraid of what will happen if we don't give in to them. 
That's wrong. <clears throat> well, Whoa. let me ask you a question. I was um, so involved in the uh, the episodes of the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson, Missouri, that when the then prosecuting attorney, um, Bob McCullough, released the transcripts from the grand jury, he said, you can get them by email. It's, you know, a very lengthy document. I think it was about 900 pages. If you would like to read this, you can read this. I don't, I don't recollect that any juror's name was part of that. It was a long time ago now. But six or seven or nine years, whatever it's been. The point is that it was in the reading of that. By the way, I'm the only citizen I know who read it. I got it and I read every page. And I was amazed and appalled. And it was crystal clear that justice was served. It was absolutely crystal clear. You could not read that and not know that the way that it, the way that the the grand jury decided was absolutely correct. So maybe in the release of that, people will actually read. Or will they edit? Will they take Will they take out of it what they want? Because you know that we can always take words and form them into whatever we want them to say. Yeah. Yeah. And what is interesting to me, they're blaming the police. They're blaming blaming the attorney general for all of this. But it was the grand jury that made the decision. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But yet. No one talks about them. They talk about the attorney general. They talk about the police. You know, if it fits their narrative, then they're going to talk about it. If it doesn't fit their narrative, they're not going to talk about it. This goes back to what we talked about earlier on this on this episode, which is the concerns that I have for our education system <clears throat> and the tremendous void that there is in critical thinking skills being taught and developed in our youth. I don't see that people who are running rampant in the streets are using their best mind. It's not an insult. How can you call what's happening education? How can you call what's happening education? It's not. In so many fronts, it's indoctrination. I agree. Because isn't education about expanding a mind? Yes. Indoctrination is about controlling a mind? Yes. And aren't we, aren't we taking away the critical thinking that you're talking about? Yep. That, you know, as long as you agree with me, you're right. But if you don't agree with me, and even as a professor, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shame you into not agreeing with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not education. Well, there you go. It is not critical thinking skills that are being taught, that are being expanded. Do you think most people think? Do I think most people think? I think that I get accused of overthinking almost every day, which tells me that other people are just frustrated with that and they would like to not be thinking. I think when we look at the number of drugs that people are taking, I think when we look at the the preponderance of uh, legalization of marijuana, which I don't care what anybody says, it is not healthy. It is not healthy for your brain, and it sure as heck is not healthy for our country. 
But isn't part isn't this a part of the liberal liberalization of our society today? Is that we're going to change morals, we're going to change ethics, we're going to change the fabric and the foundation of this country, and that's what they want because they don't want accountability, they don't want responsibility, and it's it's back to you know this movement uh, that was years ago that anything goes. I was just thinking about how athletic so many of these people are who I see rioting and running and protesting and demonstrating. And what what a, what a wonderful thing it would be to redirect their minds and redirect their energies for the benefit of our country in a positive, healthy way. Well, you know what, you know what I'd really like to know, Deb, and I haven't heard it or seen it anywhere. Uh, I, I, I've, I've heard statements that don't make sense, but what is it that these people really want? What is it that they really want? What's the agenda? What do they really want? And I'm not sure most of them can define it. Well, I can tell you what they want because they're marching in the neighborhoods, screaming it up. So in our in our last few seconds, we've got a minute and a half almost left. <clears throat> Move out of your house. You're comfortable in there. We want to be comfortable in there. Move out of your house. We're coming in. They want to move in where we all live. They want to move in where they don't live. They want the lifestyle that they don't have. Well, we can teach you how to have it. But now they want to grab it. Somebody's told them that it can be theirs. All they have to do is just do what they're being told right now, and it'll all be theirs. So if we give in and we have lawlessness, then lawlessness will give them the freedom to do whatever they want to do because there's no stop. And it'll cost us our lives. And on that happy note, I invite you to come back. Oh, I wish I could say tomorrow, but it's going to be another week unless Richard and I get it together in a real fast way. But we do have your, your, um, we do have your webinar on Friday. And people can go to Richard Flint Seminars and see it. Yeah, that what it is, is on Thursday, we have the concluding part of our, our discussion on uh, motivation and depression. That's at 10 a.m. Go to the website, richardflint.com. You can register. Great. And then Friday morning at 10 a.m. is our Zoom class. And our question this week is, what do you want for the future of this country? Bless your heart. Richard Flint, love you dearly. You're just amazing. Hold on close us out and then peace out everyone this is Dr. Deb Carlin and Richard Flint signing off for today